This recording is a production of the Conservative Anabaptist Education Committee. This presentation was recorded at Conservative Anabaptist School Board Institute 2019, held in Montgomery, Indiana, on March 1 and 2. I, too, welcome you here, and it is good to be gathered with so many friends, I can already tell this should be a four-day event. When I look at all the people I need to talk to, to say hello to again, it is really good to be gathered together this way. This kind of gathering is important for our schools and the health of our schools. And um, I want to applaud you board members and ministerial representatives who are here who took a Friday off to be here. I, um, I think that is uh, very commendable and it speaks loudly to your staff and your school, your, your, your school principal, as well as your community, taking the time to get to grow and get a little bit better at what you do in running a school is a gift to a church. This morning, my assignment is to think about curriculum. Now, curriculum is always of great interest to our boards, and it ought to be. The materials we use have an impact on students. And so we spend a fair amount of time in our board meetings looking at revisions or should we do this or should we do that and what should we, what kind of materials should we use for this and maybe to graduate we should include this class and we spend a lot of time thinking about curriculum. But there are two kinds of curriculum. This morning I'm going to call the one our formal curriculum and the second the informal or the hidden curriculum. The formal, formal, the formal curriculum as I'm using it this morning will be the textbooks and resources that we use in the classroom to teach students. The hidden curriculum is everything else. So let's look at formal curriculum for just a few moments here. All of our schools use curriculum. We, we use Ronstaff or CLE or Living History or Bob Jones or whatever, whatever people might be using. They use curriculum and we make these decisions about what we're gonna use and, and how many credits and, and what our students going to know. And it's sometimes challenging to find materials for certain classes. And we choose our formal curriculum with the end in mind, I hope. What kind of students are we trying to produce? What should they know? So the formal curriculum works very hard at the academic side of the school. Now make no mistakes, our primary job in our schools are to be agents to help our students learn to know God through the subjects that we teach. And so formal curriculum is a tool in which the school uses to mature its students. This morning, I'm not really looking at the formal curriculum. That part of school in which we intentionally teach 
our students the subjects. Now, as an aside here, it is interesting that some schools talk about extracurricular activities. I'm fascinated by that. Extracurricular has to do with maybe the yearbook or field trips. In other words, schools are doing things outside of what they're actually trying to accomplish. It's extracurricular. I think that's not a very good term. I'll leave that for you to think about. The hidden curriculum, that everything else that happens in school, it's striking to think that hidden curriculum, that term is actually probably a misnomer because it's the not-so-hidden curriculum. I can tell you what your curriculum is when I walk onto the ball field when you're having recess. That's your hidden curriculum, but I can see it in plain sight. And I know something about your students and your school by what is happening at recess. Hidden curriculum is what we communicate without intending to do so. We, we sometimes say that more is caught than taught. That's the hidden curriculum. The hidden curriculum then is really hidden in plain sight. School boards map out the formal curriculum. Do we have algebra? How much grammar? How many days a week do we have history? Etc. The hidden curriculum also has to do with learning. But our school boards don't really map out so much of that. Hidden curriculum includes which students cut it and which don't. Which students will be on the yearbook committee? What's your life have to be like to be in school leadership position? Who's the loner? Who's the popular jock? What's the pecking order in your school? What does cool mean? Who is cool? What is cool? Boards don't dictate that. And yet, I'm arguing this morning that the hidden curriculum is a potent part of the school. It matters. When students go to bed at night, what are they thinking in relation to their day? Are they thinking deeply about the formal curriculum? Is it about that algebra problem they just couldn't get today? Or one might even hope they're thinking about the test for the next morning. But is that what they're thinking about? What's sticking with our young people? Maybe it's the fact that Robert's always better at softball than I am, and I always strike out. Why did, why did God make me this way? Or why did she not talk to me today? Did I do something wrong? I wonder, maybe nobody likes me actually. 
the hidden curriculum, those things that take place, the everything else in the school, is a powerful part of the shaping and formation of a young person. And by extension, the hidden curriculum will have visible effects on the church. There's a lot of power in the hidden curriculum. The practices and the habits, the way things are done, is really important to evaluate and consider. The habits and practices of an individual create a certain kind of person. We know this. The same is true in a school or a church. Our habits and practices not only inform belief, they also form belief. What we do in large measure determines who we become. What stories get told in your school? What songs do you sing? Do you sing? How much do you sing? I don't know very many boards that have set out to say how much a school should sing. But yet, singing is a powerful shaping force in a school. It's part of the hidden curriculum. And it will form your young people. Does your school principal have a vision for the church and get behind the church in its goals? In what way does he or doesn't he? Hidden curriculum. Do students in your school get training and practical skills that can be used in church, such as leading singing or teaching a Sunday school class or organizing a meal or teaching a children's class and so on? There has been a good move toward better academics, doing better with the formal curriculum. I applaud that. I'm grateful. But I sense a swinging just a little bit in some cases to the other side where that becomes the ultimate end. And I believe we can have high quality, good academics while at the same time offering the kind of practical skills that will bless the church. So why can't English class include speech? Not just speech for the sake of speech, but, but how about needing to do a devotional in which you actually have an outline and need to have a scripture passage that you didn't just Google and copy and paste into your document, which is increasingly common in our circles. There's a skill there. It's maybe not a part necessarily in some of our schools. Some schools have a speech class. Not all schools do, but we don't have to wait for formal curriculum to do well with the hidden curriculum. The things that, that aren't embedded into what we say every student should do. There are ways we can build on a quality academic setting where they know things but know how to serve with the things they know. An education that causes young people to not serve is not an education at all. 
our knowledge always translates into service. Recently, we've been talking about this at our school. How can we do better with some of these practical skills? By the way, when you're a teacher, it's really, really fun to teach um, grammar. You know, adjectives, adverbs, clauses. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. And, and we like doing that. And you can get so caught up in that that you forget about some other important things. And we decided this year that ninth and 10th grade is gonna come up with a project to bless the community. And so they talked about it. We, put, we planted some seeds ahead of time in order to probably get some kind of outcome, which we kind of wanted them to do, to plan an evening for the elderly in our community. But here's the catch. They had to decide how they were going to do it. They had to appoint among themselves a committee. So they all agreed, we're gonna do a supper. It's gonna be in February and we're gonna do this supper and we're gonna try to have 30 people from the community come in. They had to decide the, who the committee is. Then they had to decide who all the subcommittees, great Mennonites, aren't they? Uh, all the subcommittees, the decor, the food, and all these different committees. They had to figure out what invitations, what kind of food, how much food, where they're gonna buy it, where they're gonna rent the building. I said, our school's not available. You have to go talk to people, you have to call people. And um, you know what? 45 people from our community showed up at a church down the road. And we did nothing. They did everything. Hidden curriculum. They had this little thing going on. Are we going to sing for these people? Because they know we should always sing if we get together with the community people. That's just kind of what you do. And some said, no way. And the leader of the group said, well, of course we are. And we're not practicing either. We don't have time, but we're going to do it. One of the first times I've seen his backbone get that straight. <laughs> and they sang. It wasn't the greatest. They thought in their comments for the next year they would practice beforehand, which I affirm. Uh, but you see what can begin to happen. That's the hidden curriculum. The board didn't say what's going to happen there. But you understand, there are these opportunities that, that are embedded in a school setting that actually end up mattering a lot. So hear me not calling for an either or, formal or hidden, hear me calling for coming together of these two and integrating as a part of school life with intentionality things that will grow and mature our young people. There's tremendous power in the hidden curriculum to influence our young people, to shape their character, to set their priorities, to shape their thinking and their worldview and to offer a lifestyle that fits the gospel message of Jesus. Now, there are many areas we could talk about this morning. I plan to highlight only three. And I want to say here that many of our school boards 
invest their authority through the principal. I applaud that. That is a good model um, where the board sets policy and vision and the principal works it out. But there are several things that are clearly in a school board's camp to pay close attention to and to oversee. And these three are facilities, the school handbook, staff. That is everything else, isn't it, kind of, when we say handbook, right? These aren't the most scintillating, I'm sorry, but they're really important to the work of the school. Let's begin with facilities. The way our facilities appear and function is a part of the hidden curriculum. It enables or disables the mission. Our students don't have to have it looking perfectly beautiful, but it needs to be functional. They need to be able to do what they need to do. It speaks volume to our students, our parents, and our community when things look presentable. If school is an afterthought, your facilities will reflect that. Does the grass get mowed on time in straight lines? You know, where I'm from, and I'm not being critical here one bit, I'm a part of that community, people drive in circles to do their mowing. What happens when you do that is that laws of physics come into play and nothing never looks quite even. It kind of bugs me personally, about like dandelions bug me in a yard. It's just a personal thing. But it really stands out. My boys have a little lawn mowing business. They have a curriculum too. And their dad makes sure when you mow, you always trim you always blow, you always mow straight, and you crisscross. You get striping. If you're gonna do it, you might as well do it right. And I put up my boys against a whole lot of people because over and over they have had to discipline themselves to do every step and do it right. It speaks. And here's what's interesting. I've had people say, who are those little shavers? They're not so little anymore, two youngest or 12. Who, who are the, what, they, they do a pretty nice job. They notice it. Why do they notice? Because most people drive in circles and it looks like they drive in circles. You, you see, it speaks about care about what they're doing. That's really all it is. And it's noticed. I think if school's not an afterthought, we give good energy to what things look like. Is the school clean? Now, by the way, I'm a supporter of, of, of young people cleaning their own school. If you have to clean up what you messed up, it works better in the life of the school. Part of our curriculum at school, this isn't so hidden either, is we have um, about 50 students in grades 7 to 12, and twice a week we clean the entire school. Mopping, squeegeeing, sweeping, washing all the windows and the doors, not, not the exterior windows. That is a part of the school. We take the last 20 minutes of Wednesdays and Fridays to clean the school. And there's some of us walking around being helpful about how you clean a urinal and what you do with, you know, the trash that fell out over there. And you know what? They care about things more. 
You see, it's rewarding when a student, a ninth grader comes to me, Mr. Miller, who is splashing water on the mirror? If they didn't have to clean that mirror, they'd never think about the splashing on the mirror. You see, curriculum, it's part of the warp and woof of school. They don't even think twice about it. We all know we're going to get a job that's going to last for half the school year, and it might be cleaning bathrooms twice a week for one semester. And if it's enough a part of your purpose and intent in the school, they might not even complain. What's interesting is that it's as much a part of the school day as eating lunch. They don't complain about cleaning, and they don't complain about eating lunch. Our schools have hidden curriculum, and I think it's good to invest our young people in cleaning up after themselves, if that's a possibility in your setting. Are the bathrooms clean? When a board member walks into a school, he should always walk into the bathrooms and just look. And if he sees things, he should say things about that. That's a big part of the hidden curriculum. There are things that happen in bathrooms in Mennonite schools that are regretful. The cleaner, neat, tidy, word we care about this, that helps work against some of the things that can happen. I was in a school once, and as is my custom, I walked into the bathroom and was taken aback because when I walked to the bathroom, there was four stalls, and the very first one said, reserved for teachers only. Hidden curriculum. I don't know what issue they were trying to address. I took a picture of it. I have proof. That's not the best way. Facilities matter. They communicate. And boards really have done a good job over the years, I think, in maintaining those. Carpet and paint, updating things. Carpet and paint goes a long way. Some newer lighting. Take a walk through the building sometime at your board meeting before you start. Just your whole board, five or seven men or whatever, start outside, come to the entrance, look at what the entrance looks like, think about if there's weeds in the flower beds, go on in, what's the first thing they see? What's it look like? What? Look, that recept cover is broken. And you walk through to see what's there. Walk through the entire school taking notes. It'll give your, your maintenance guy uh, plenty of work. It's amazing how quickly we get used to something that we shouldn't get used to. Children, when children know that the board is paying attention to the building, to where we are, it says something about how much their board cares about what they're doing. Secondly, school handbook. School handbooks tend to be archival quality. Something that gets yellowed around the edges, sits on the back shelf, 
and occasionally in times of distress gets pulled out, only to find out that in, in our handbook we said that parents should not be watching VHS tapes. Whatever those are today, which pretty much tells you when the last time was it was looked at. The handbook is a living document, a set of procedures, goals, and the philosophy of the school. Why we do what we do, the framework upon all aspects of the school. It's an expression of our lives as a school. And the major responsibility of the school board is to create and revise the policies, to keep that policy manual current, and to ensure the principal's carrying out his work. And it's work. It's work, and it's not, I'll be honest, the most fun work. A, a, a school handbook is not, an, is not an exhaustive document, or is it meant to encourage mindlessness? We can just put on autopilot because we've figured everything out. If that school handbook says everything you need to know in the school, it's a little too large because nobody's really paying attention to it. A good school handbook helps new board members coming on. It orients them to the functions and, and the procedures of the board. It gives consistency to the school and helps in giving oversight. It saves time. I cannot tell you how many times boards revisit decisions that have been made three, five, eight years before that were really important decisions and they revisit, revisit, and revisit. I've been in settings in which it was revisited a year later. Finally, someone says, well, didn't we deal with this last year? Oh, yeah. Good time to update that handbook is when you make a change. Parents need it, the principal needs it. Does your handbook reflect reality. Handbooks that aren't updated become an object of scorn. Oh, no one pays attention to that thing anyway. Then what good is it? Handbooks that aren't updated create misunderstandings, create confusion. Because what we say we do and what we actually do are two different things. Handbooks need to reflect reality. In my particular situation, it's easier for me to probably update uh, our policy. I've gone to updating it every year to make sure that what I actually say is what we actually do. That means there's two or three little things that need to just get updated. We don't do it this way anymore. And I know all of you have different situations you find yourself in. I encourage a document that gives direction to the school. It is a part of the hidden curriculum. But it should not be an archival quality piece of yellowed paper or papers. It should give direction so that the hidden curriculum of your school, the rest of the hidden curriculum of your school, actually offers something helpful and meaningful for the long term. 
And finally, staff. At the heart of your hidden curriculum are your teachers. I just talked with a school board member this morning. Last year, they had about 55 years worth of teaching experience in their school, and they have maybe, because of a variety of, a variety of issues, they have one teacher coming back from 55 years to maybe a couple of years, all in one year. It's devastating to a school, it really is. So I understand how hard it is to find people. But if we're going to continue working at making our schools a blessing, we're going to need to work really hard on the people issue because staff embody the hidden curriculum. Sometimes a teacher will say, well, don't do as I do, do as I say. Students always do what she does. We always believe and gravitate toward the hidden curriculum. We actually believe that a lot. So who is the teacher's pet? Is there one who's ignored? How do people get along? When a student makes a mistake, what's the teacher's response? That hidden curriculum is incredibly potent. Teachers teach the hidden curriculum continually. In fact, it kind of oozes out of their pores. You, they can't help it. Because who we are simply cannot be hidden. And so who you hire has more to do with your hidden curriculum than any other one thing. What kind of students do you want your school to produce? Answer that question and it tells you who to hire. You hire precisely that kind of person. Teachers who are apt to teach, who know what they are to teach, who can use the formal curriculum, but teachers who teach the kind of hidden curriculum out of who they are in a way that reflects biblical values and values of the local body. Philippians 1, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What kind of teachers do we have? Grow your teachers. Help them get better. With compassion, hold them accountable for their responses. Your staff has more to do with the hidden curriculum of your school than any other one thing. It's the military term is boots on the ground. In our schools, the boots on the ground are the people interacting with your children every day, and it's absolutely mattering. Jesus is our master teacher. If Jesus did school today, what would it look like? 
And I wonder sometimes if the lines between teaching times and non-teaching times would be blurred, maybe significantly. Maybe the lines between the formal and the hidden curriculum would not be quite so fuzzy. You see, when we teach the math class, and then we have this transition, this break, and move to English class, that break in between the math and the English is part of the curriculum. What do students do? What do they talk about? How loud are they in the hallways? What are they doing in between their break, in, in, in between their classes at the break? And you see, you have so many opportunities right there. In those breaks, those informal times, those are great opportunities to say, hey, Kendrick, I saw you hold the door open for, for him. Thank you. That was good. Somebody noticed. It's not in the curriculum, not in the formal curriculum. It's in the curriculum, though. You see, there's these moments all over embedded in the life of a school that are more than just the formal curriculum. Jesus sat down, he opened his mouth, and he taught them saying. He had formal curriculum. Jesus had formal curriculum. And he also washed feet. He blessed children. He spoke to tax collectors. He got a whip out in the temple. And he reprimanded his disciples about trying to be the top dog. John Ortberg says this about curriculum. Formal curriculum is intentional. Hidden curriculum is inherent. Formal is obvious. Hidden is subtle. What is learned in the formal curriculum leaves you eventually, at least the details. But what you learn in the hidden curriculum lasts a lifetime. We have an opportunity to model the Christian community to our students. And the hidden curriculum will be the vehicle through which we'll do that, probably most profoundly. And it will have a huge bearing on the kind of students we produce in our schools for the good and for the sake of the kingdom and the local body of believers. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.